Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of The Yacking Show. This is Harmony, the health channel, your path to wholeness. And we bring you ideas for a better life by bringing you interesting guests. But it's not my job to introduce guests. So first, let's call on co-host Kathleen. How are you doing today, Kathleen? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate having you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. We're so privileged to welcome Dr. Ed Cohen to the show. Hello, Dr. Cohen. How are you? Hello, I'm great. Thank you. So, uh, Dr. Ed Cohen is a PhD in modern thought from Stanford. He also is the founder of the Healing Council. This is an organization that helps people attend to the healing possibilities that illnesses often contain. So let's jump right in. Ed, can you explain what you mean by the healing possibility, the healing possibilities that illnesses often contain? What, what do you mean? Well, uh, first of all, it's important to think about what healing might mean. Um, in our culture, especially for the last hundred years, where we've given so much authority to medicine, which I, I mean, I want to say from the beginning, no disrespect to, I would have died a number of times without medicine's care. I'm very happy to, you know, that medicine is able to do the things that it is able to do. But medicine has gotten invested in treating and curing and billing. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and the idea of healing has kind of dropped out of medical practice. Um, doctors are not in you know, when they're trained are not taught about healing. Healing is not part of medical discourse. Um, but for most of medicine's history, that is to say, since it was invented in the fifth century BCE, healing was the central uh, concern of what medicine was about. Medicine was intended to support and encourage the natural power of healing. Um, so it's only really been actually less than a century. I mean, since the new kinds of interventions, antibiotics being, for example, one of the first mm -hmm. kinds of curative you know, uh, technologies that were invented in the 20th century, it's only been less than a century that we've really been attached to this idea of cure. I mean, that prior to that their curing was not the uh was not a possibility it wasn't even a fantasy um and there's a big difference between curing and treating and healing um healing doesn't imagine that we can erase our experiences of illness to go back to the way we were before we got sick i mean i don't know if you've noticed but in life there doesn't seem to be any going back mm -hmm. um that we're just going forward True. and that healing really in my sense you know, is it's not just a biological capacity, although it is an intrinsic biological capacity. All okay. living organisms, since the first organism that sprang into existence, have shared this capacity. Otherwise, there would be no life. Um, mm -hmm. But healing, you know, has been downgraded in the medical imagination. And, and healing really is our birthright. I mean, it's part of what it means to be a living organism. It's also part of what it means to be part of a collective communities cultures but also it's <clears throat> what you know enables us to be part of the planet i mean right now everything on our planet seems to require an incredible amount of healing um from you know climate change to you know like covid makes it really clear that you know 
all kinds of new zoonotic illnesses are going to be challenging us in the future and that it's not merely a matter of coming up with vaccines or, or antivirals, but that actually how it is that people become exposed and, you know, the ways that we run our economies. I mean, that was what was sort of amazing about, you know, the COVID uh, experience around the world is that we saw like everything stopped, you know, that that so much is, is integrated into the way that we live together. So when I say supporting the intrinsic capacity you know, that, you know, uh, the opportunity that might be available, you know, within an experience of disease and illness. I mean, it's my belief, and, and this comes from my experience of living with Crohn's disease for more than 50 years, as well as from, you know, my research as a scholar on the history and philosophy of medicine, and from my work with people who are interested in healing, mostly people with chronic and life-threatening illnesses, that, that healing does matter. And that when we when we desire it and when we value it, we're better able to support it and encourage it. And healing doesn't mean we're not going to die. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we all die at some point, you know, that so but healing is about uh, about learning. It's about growing and it's about changing. Um, and that capacity is available to us in whatever circumstances we live in. You know, and some of us have more support and more resources than others. And and that's a problem. Absolutely. But wherever we are, we always have the capacity to enhance the quality of our lives by understanding that there is more available to us. And so that's what I think, you know, the opportunities that are available, you know, when illness challenges us is to ask, well, what else is there? And and we know this from people. I mean, there are so many anecdotal stories of people, you know, with cancer, for example, who say, you know, my cancer diagnosis was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, that it allowed it allowed me to reevaluate what was important to me in my life and to make choices that were different than the choices that I was making before. Um, you know, that, that, you know, I mean, there's so many different um, examples of people who have been, you know, like people will say, I, I was woken up, you know, by this, you know, uh, you know, this diagnosis or, or this event. And, you know, and, and that's the thing is, you know, life gives us so many opportunities to grow and to change and to learn. Um, but in order to do so, we really have to, first of all, be aware that it's a possibility. Second of all, think that it's something that's desirable. And third of all, we have to pay attention to it and then try to develop mm-hmm. skills and resources that allow us to uh, to encourage that possibility. So, you know, so that's a very long answer to your very short question. <laughs> but uh, but I, I do think, you know, there's always more that we can become and healing is just a way of thinking about that. Right. Ah, wow. Very, very good. Uh, so, Ed, how does your approach differ from conventional Western medicine? Well, so um, the I would say I wouldn't juxtapose what I am interested in and what I try to support and encourage to Western medicine, because as I say, uh, I mean, I would be dead without it. So, you know, I, I, I'm giving no disrespect. No, nope. not sure. We understand. But, uh, yeah, but um, 
but healing is, I mean, and, and healing is something that we, even, even Western medicine, even not just Western medicine, even insurance companies now realize that there are other kinds of resources that are supportive of, you know, of Western medical practice in many kinds of circumstances. So for example, comprehensive cancer care, you know, that's, a, you know, where, or, you know, adjunctive therapies or what's mm -hmm. called alternative medicines or complementary medicines, you know, so, you know, it's not that there is a complete lack of awareness, but the way that medicine as medicine uh, is, um, is constituted it, it, both through the kinds of knowledge that it produces, but also the way in which doctors are trained, right, um, is really to emphasize <clears throat> the idea that knowledge is the most central aspect of its practice. And, and doctors are then, you know, when we approach a doctor, um, you know, we want them to know what's wrong with us. I mean, mostly we desire that. And, and in doing that, we give over a lot of power to our physicians. We, you know, in using, you know, psychological, you know, lingo, um, we, we project a lot. We transfer resources that are ours onto the physician in the hope that they know something about what's happening to us that we don't know about ourselves. And, you know, and it's great when they do know things, but their ways of knowing are constrained within the rubrics that define you know what they understand to be truthful and and so much of that especially in contemporary moments is is what's called evidence-based um mm -hmm. which is based on accumulating kinds of data and doing statistical analyses and the reality is that we're not a statistic right the there is an idea um about the way that you know medical diagnoses are produced that um it's it, it so, someone refers to it as a, a kind of anybodyization that is to say when you're diagnosed like i was diagnosed with crohn's disease it's as if the disease just happens to anybody right it could be any it's not it, mm -hmm. it's like why did it happen to me when i was 13 you know in the circumstances that's not a question right the particular circumstances or anybody's circumstances. Why did you get cancer at this point in your life and in th these circumstances? It's irrelevant that because you're just an anybody, right, in medical terms. And, and we understand mm -hmm. that a doctors mm -hmm. now, doctors have very limited time, mm -hmm. right, to interact with us. They yep. don't out who we are as people. They're trying their best to put us into a category that makes sense to them so that then they can begin to first think pro first diagnostically so they're going to put us in a category like diagnosis mm -hmm. or means by way of knowledge diagnosis so first they want to know something else and putting us in a category then pro then they want to create a prognosis right prognosis means knowing mm -hmm. in advance. so already we see there's a problem there because you can't know in advance we're not god you know <laughs> and so that's why right. we know when they give us, you know, statistical information like, you know, uh, the kind of cancer you have, you know, there's a, you know, 55% chance of what, that, that is not actual information that's relevant to any particular person. No. It's 
relevant to a group of people. So one of the things, you know, primary differences that I would say between the way that I think about illness and disease and how I try to support and encourage people is in their particularity to try to think about, well, okay, so there is something that's happening right now. We understand. Um, And, you know, you are experiencing it as something that impedes your ability to live your life in the way that you would like to live it, that somehow it's, you know, keeping you from doing the things that you find most valuable about your life. So, you know, there are ways that, you know, medicine can support and encourage you in that process. But let's think about, well, why is this happening to you now? And what is it impeding in your life? And, you know, what is this occasion, you know, asking you to reflect on in the way you are in the world? So it's very particularizing, you know, how I practice. And and that's also, you know, part of, you know, in terms of your question about what's different from Western medical practice. I mean, this is a, a an awareness that has been built in to, you know, alternative medicine since medicine first aspired to become scientific. You know, for most of its history, medicine was an art. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, it was the art of healing. I mean, really, it only became a science fully. I mean, and and first of all, let me just say, medicine is not a science. It it relies on science, but medicine is not a science. Like I recently had, or two years ago, had a hip replacement operation. And literally in the disclaimer that you have to sign, it says, I understand that medicine is not a science. I mean, that's the legal. So they tell us that. But but the history of like how the scientization of medicine happened, you know, already had built in limitations in the beginning of the 19th century. That's where homeopathy came from. Hanuman's critique of 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 what was developing as a kind of, you know, normative scientific practice was that precisely this issue about antibodyization. It's like that illnesses are not categorical. You know, if I have COVID and you have COVID, I mean, that's why COVID is such a great example, right? Because we say COVID as if it's one thing and that everybody who is exposed to a SARS-CoV-2 virus, you know, gets, has the the same phenomenon. And it's, it, oh. we, we know that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people are asymptomatic. Some people get a slight cold. Some people get a flu-like thing. Some people get pneumonia. Some people have, you know, heart involvement, kidney involvement. My favorite one was the toes, you know, then some people have like auto, you know, sort of autoimmune cascade responses. You know, some people have right. life support. Some people get long COVID. Some people die. Like, do we know why any particular person who is exposed to a virus has this particular kind of response? No, we do not. And the and the naming of the category as if it is a unified phenomenon actually impedes our ability to understand the particularity of how any kind of disease phenomenon affects individuals so you you could say the same for measles or you know anything right anything yeah and and this is why i I mean this is why uh, sorry that it's not just healing is not just a biological thing it's 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 not just physical, it's psychological, spiritual, uh, social, it's all of those things. So although you might have a physical diagnosis and somebody, the doctor might say, 
we have no idea how this, 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 this stuff just happens. It's out of the blue, you know, and you just happen to be unlucky, right? right. That's not true. No. Well, that's, that's so, uh, so like I have Crohn's disease, right? So I was diagnosed when I was 13. Now Crohn's disease uh, is mostly not entirely, mostly considered to be an autoimmune illness. Now, mm -hmm. first of all, so when I was 13, you know, they came into my room and said, you know, you have, we think you have, you know, Crohn's, Crohn's is an autoimmune illness that's affecting, you know, the lining of your digestive system. And, you know, I was 13, I had a pretty big vocabulary, but autoimmunity was not a word that I knew. So then they tried to break it down for me, right? And so first they're, they're like, well, you know, autoimmunity is like you're allergic to yourself. And I'm like, Okay, that is really not helping. So then they were like, <laughs> uh, it's like part of yourself is rejecting yourself. Yeah. Again, not super helpful. Mm -mm. And finally they said, well, it's like you're eating yourself alive. Okay, now I could understand that, but that was not a helpful way to explain what was happening to me, nor did subsequently many years later that I found out was it even an accurate you know account of what autoimmunity is and the thing that's ultimately amazing I mean I've done a lot of work I wrote a whole book about the history of immunology I've done all this work on the, uh, the history of autoimmunity and how autoimmune autoimmunity they don't know what it is no nobody no. not anybody knows what autoimmunity is, what causes it, why it occurs, when it occurs to the people it occurs. There are now 80 to 100 illnesses that are attributed to autoimmune etiologies. They affect approximately 5 to 10% of the population in the United States. I mean, huge numbers of people ranging from asthma to diabetes to multiple sclerosis to, I mean, there's so, and they're all highly different. And yet, you know, they're all kind of attributed to this particular kind of causality that they literally not only do not know what it is, but it actually is paradoxical because the way that they understand how immune function uh, operates, you know, and this is again, in the COVID, it became really clear, you know, was the idea that our immune systems defend us against viral, against the attacks of microbial pathogenic agents, right? So it's predicated as in the 20th century immunity was defined as the science of self, not self-recognition. So that, mm -hmm. that so self, not self-differentiation is central to immunology, but autoimmunity contradicts that, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it breaks down the opposition between self and not self. Like what my doctor said to me, it's like you're allergic to yourself. Or, you know, you're rejecting yourself. That that breaks down their paradigm. And yet the, the that paradigm can't be called into question because it's foundational. It is basically a, um, a sedimented belief in medical discourse and medical training. If you don't believe that immunity is about the discrimination of self, not self, then you're not practicing medicine in the Western sense of it. Like uh, acupuncture yeah. mm -hmm. does not believe that their, their system is not predicated on the opposition of self, not self. In fact, it's, it's the opposite because it's predicated mm -hmm. on an elemental system that understands that as organisms, we only live insofar as we live in the world and mm -hmm. that we're comprised. In the world, right. 
you know, so, um, you know, so the ways in which, you know, we medicine, it, it, there are limits to the way that medicine understands what's happening to us and to the world um, that are, are very real. And, and so when it gives us treatments, like, again, just to, you know, use my own example, you know, so I'm 13 and then they put me on massive doses of prednisone, oh, which, boy. <laughs> yeah, I was on prednisone for 10 years. Oh, my. wow. Yeah, no, I, that's why I call it my adolescence on steroids. Um, so, uh, yeah, nobody would be on prednisone for 10 years now because this was, bef- now there are new drugs. There are what called biologics, the monoclonal mm-hmm. antibodies. But but in those days, that's what they could give me. And, and it was sort of like this weird exchange where I took these immunosuppressing drugs. I mean, and I there's a recent uh, medical review article of, of all of these autoimmune illnesses that refers to it. And I love this, the sledgehammer of immunosuppression. I mean, it's so <laughs> subtle, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but every time I took <clears throat> the pills, basically I not only took in the, the chemicals that are crystallized in the pills, but I took in the, the assumptions that were written into the use of those pills, like it's sort of like, sure. I feel like it's like a, a, when we receive medical treatment, it's almost like a communion, right? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. take in, you know, the, uh, the apprehension that medicine has. And because, you know, so many of its resources are actually very powerful, mm-hmm. you know, it's very easy for us to kind of get locked into these ways of thinking about ourselves in their terms, right. you know, yeah. other than understanding they have there's very powerful resources that are very powerful ways of making sense of the world, but it isn't everything. They do not no. know everything. Right. Ed, I'm gonna change direction very slightly because there's so much we would like to ask you. Um wearing your your modern thinker hat. So uh-huh. I've got a question for you. Why do some people more easily adapt to major changes in their physical and social environments better than others? Is is it because they have different physical and spiritual strengths? Is it a, a soul thing? Um, I, I'm a, <laughs> quite a, a student of why people overcome adversity to a greater or lesser degree. And it's always puzzled me why some people rise to challenges and do well and others just become victims and fold up and pack their tent and run away. What, what's your thinking on that one? Oh, wow. Uh, so, <laughs> um, karma? Uh, you know, uh, past lives? You know, honestly, I really, I can't give a good answer to that. Um, you know, it is certainly, it, it would seem that there's, again, some environmental, you know, conditions, which include socioeconomic, historical, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, the way that people respond to things now is not the way that people could respond to things a hundred years ago or 300 years ago. So, you know, I mean, one of my favorite quotes from Karl Marx is, you know, we make our own history, but not in circumstances of our own making. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, partly it's obviously contextual, you know, but you know how it is that, I mean, think about like, you know, people like, siblings you're in the same family yeah you you have i mean of course i mean the reality is like because of birth order and everything else you know 
we don't actually have the same parents. You know, like like I'm I'm a sure. child. My parents were not the same parents as my youngest brother. You know, I mean that. So, but uh, but you know, there's so much circumstantial. But how it is that particular people are able to actualize some possibilities that other people somehow seem not to be able to engage with. Honestly, you know, I don't know. I mean, um, my personal belief, I mean, this is just totally a personal belief, you know, and it's the way that, you know, I act as if this is the case, is that I, I say to myself, um, what what is the healing that birth took me for in this life? Like, mm-hmm. what is it that I'm here to learn? And there was nothing in my family that oriented me in, or in my culture that oriented me, to me to that possibility. I mean, my parents, my mother was a communist. My mo- father was a physical chemist. They were both a- atheist Jews. That, you know, in my, my family, matter was all that mattered. You know, that was not, I, how did I come, you know, well, partly I came to it by virtue of my illness. You know, that that mm-hmm. was something, but it didn't happen right away. I mean, really, I, I had I had a kind of life-changing near-death experience. I mean, I almost died. I had a whole out-of-body thing. Wow. And, um, and then I spontaneously began to go into trances. And I mean, so, and then I was opened to and then was able to find teachers I mean, how how did that happen? I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I can tell you what happened. I can tell you how important it was. Sure. But, you know, honestly, it was like my experience, you know, I was like, I, I got a message from the trees. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so I wish I had an answer for you. It would be great if we could. No, know, with some systematic, you know, kind of understanding of, of how, you know, this happens. But my feeling is that ultimately it's healing is something that's available to everyone, but not everyone can desire it and not everyone can value it. And that's really what my work tries to do is sure. to provide a context yep. to help people, mm-hmm. you know, to realize that, that these, these are possibilities that our culture, you know, doesn't train us, doesn't teach us are available to us or, or, or there doesn't, teachers that are important. I mean, you know, very famous, you know, sociologist Aaron Goffman said, uh, you know, said, you know, the role of the sick person is to get better, to go back to work, right? That, that's the value schema in our culture, not, oh, <coughs> right. things that happen to us, shit happens to everybody, you know, yeah. but rather than thinking, oh, well, I can turn that shit into fertilizer and maybe grow something new, you know, most people are like, why the fuck is this happening to me? Yeah. You know? um, and, you know, what, what, you know, what, like, we are like, why, why me? Why this? You know, okay. and so, so Ed, on that, on that point, then how does a person delve deeply into their own soul in order to help facilitate healing? How do you help them do that? Or do you? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, yes, that's, that's what I try to do. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, well, first of all, I, my belief is that if people come to me for support, that 
there's already something in them that's activated. Like there is already something in them that knows how to heal, that is desiring something more. And that what my job is, because I, you know, because I have a lot, I have 50 years of experience of living with a, a chronic and life-threatening mm-hmm. illness and that I've done many kinds of things. I can hold for them the, the faith in, that healing can happen, that we don't know what it looks like in advance, that it's different for everybody, mm-hmm. right? And that, but that when we begin to desire it and we begin to value it, then we each have to learn the ways in which we can participate with that process. And that's different for everyone. And so, you know, what my work is, is to try to help people to develop their own sense of what's necessary for them in order to take the next steps in their life, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever that may be. Um, And, you know, so in terms of like, what do you need to do in order to delve into, you know, your sense of of an expanded sense of who we are in this life course? Um, Yeah, I think desire is really a key element. Like you have, you have to desire that there be something more. And, you know, to go back to, you know, your question earlier about, you know, why do some people do, you know, are able to, you know, make changes at, you know, when they're confronted with adversity and other people don't, you know, or or aren't able to, I mean, I really think, you know, the element of like desire and, and belief in the possibility, you know, is really essential because if you can't imagine something, right. You can't make it happen. That that's, Mm -hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what my practice is really about is trying to help people imagine that their life could be otherwise in whatever circumstances they happen to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that there's always more, there's always possibilities that we don't know because we are more than we know. I mean, that's my fundamental, like knowledge is a really, really sure. amazing resource, but it does not totalize our intelligence. Right. You know, our our physical beings yeah. are way more intelligent than we know. And that's when my experience of like spontaneously going into trances that, you know, when I left the hospital, I had an exit interview with my surgeon. And he said to me this thing that just like transformed my life because he said, you were the sickest person I've operated on in five years who's still alive. Wow. Who's still alive. I, wow. Yeah. And he said, and I don't know how you got better so quickly. And that was the first time a doctor said to me, I don't know. And this was a very fancy, I was in the Stanford University Hospital. This was a very, very fancy surgeon. And and I was like, yeah. whoa. Well, I mean, you know, for a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, it's like, but until, you know, until we can embrace the possibility that there is there is yet more, you know, this is happening, yes, mm. and what else? Right. Well, I know, mm. Peter, we're running, unfortunately, we're running. Wow, I'm watching here, the but... clock. Unfortunately, we're out of time. <laughs> yeah, so, so, Peter, but I do know that you have a burning question you'd like to ask, Ed. So why don't you, why don't you ask that? And then I, I think it's probably answered. 
probably answered it, but let's go over it quickly. So I was going to ask you, in your experience, all the people you've worked with and, and given the uh, experience you've you've had of living most of your life with a debilitating disease, is there a single characteristic or, or mindset that separates the healthy, well-balanced people, despite what, from those who let their condition dictate their, their outlook on life? And I think you may have answered it when you were talking to Kathleen with desire, or is there more than that? Um. I think, you know, desire as a motivation, but I, I, I think, you know, and I, I you know, want to say also context is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having, you know, being able to be supported, having the time and the resources to be able to make changes. I mean, so many people in the world today live in conditions in which they're so constrained by just the immediacy of survival, right? That, you know, the, the it is imp- almost nearly impossible to imagine things otherwise. Of course, it's not, you know, impossible because some people do and some people become amazing, transformative, you know, beings in the world. I mean, and I don't know if they're bodhisattvas. I don't know, you know, if they've come through many life cycles and you know, I don't know how that happens, but... But I think, you know, it's really important for us to understand that, you know, as living beings, we are always in a context and it's the relationship between our particularity and then the world that we participate in, that we are participants, that we participate with the world. And the question is, how can we partner with, you know, with our circumstances, with other living beings, other humans, other non-human beings? You know, that that seems to me, you know, um, th- that seems to me a, a really powerful resource. So I can't say why some do and why some don't, but I would suggest that one of the things that helps those who do desire, you know, is really the kinds of support and encouragement and, and the vitality that they can draw on from the world in which they Right. Good. Thanks very much, Ed. Yes. Oh, yeah. pleasure. Uh, how do people contact you, Ed? Sure. Um, you, you can contact me through my website. It's called okay. healingcouncil.com, and it explains my practice and some about my story, and then there's a contact page. There's also a media page if you want to listen to this podcast and others. Um, but yeah, feel free to get in touch with me um, through the form on the contact page. I'm happy to talk to people. I do a 15 minute free consultation if you're interested in working with me. Um, I'd be happy to talk to you. Wonderful. Well, it was wonderful having you on the show today, Ed. And once again, thank you all so much for tuning into our show. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, please visit us at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form and we would love to hear from you. So until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.